Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. The shot heard around the world in the ever-escalating trade war was fired last night by Donald Trump threatening to impose another $200 billion of tariffs on American consumers wishing to buy Chinese goods. This followed the $50 billion in tariffs. And remember, when Trump announced the first $50 billion tax on Chinese goods, he threatened that if China retaliated by taxing its own citizens, uh, that Trump would up the ante with even more taxes on American citizens, although he didn't use those terms. He, he, you know, he, he's, he's acting as if the guns are pointed in the other direction. Uh, but uh, the Chinese, of course, not to lose face, uh, they immediately went tit for tat with Trump. And now Trump had no choice uh, but to uh, follow through $200 billion more in taxes. Now, I guess the ball is in China's court. We'll see where they take it. But the markets obviously didn't take it very well. They sold off. In fact, the decline in the U.S., as seems to be typical, was much more muted uh, than it was around the world. The Dow was down. It closed down for the sixth consecutive day. This is the longest losing streak for the Dow since March of 2017, down 287. The lows, I think, were down about 415, 430. I forget the exact amount, but not that big a decline. And, you know, the Russell 2000 was up again, another all-time record high. You know, I think on the six days that the Dow has been down, I think the Russell 2000 has only been down two of those six days. So it keeps going up. And this shows you that traders have convinced themselves that America is going to win a trade war or at least take the fewest casualties. Because the reason that the Russell 2000 is doing better than the Dow or the S&P is that you don't have the multinationals. And the theory is that the domestic economy can easily weather uh, the trade war, that it's no big deal, that trade is a small part of the U.S. economy. And so we got nothing to worry about. But if you are worried, well, maybe worry about the multinationals that stand to lose. So just focus on all these small companies that are just benefiting uh, and basking in the glow of the greatest economy in the history of the world. Um, and if you don't believe it, just ask uh, President Trump, and, and he will tell you. But this is all a bunch of nonsense. And the nonsense continues to drive the dollar higher, dollar index uh, above 95. Remember, we were trading with an 88 handle uh, in February on the dollar index, having fallen from about 104, 105 a year earlier, you know, when we started 20, uh, 2017. And of course, when we started 2017, everybody was bullish on the dollar because of the rate hikes, right? That was what was going to drive the dollar higher uh, were rate hikes. And we had a bunch of rate hikes and the dollar went lower. 
But now you've got some other uh, misconceptions that are powering the dollar. Of course, one of the reasons that the dollar rose is because it did get very oversold in January, February. January was the biggest drop for the dollar in 30 years in a January. And that happened after the biggest decline, right, in uh, 14 years and first one in five years. So we got a bunch of traders all of a sudden got short. And, you know, now I think the shorts have covered. I think now we have a new group of speculative longs in the dollar that are going to get burned even more badly than the speculative longs who were burned, who crowded into the dollar in uh, January of last year. But the thinking is, at least when it comes to trade, is that the dollar is going to benefit from a trade war, which I think is wrong. I think it's as wrong-headed as the concept that the dollar is going to benefit from larger budget deficits, which I think I brought up this asinine theory in a prior podcast. But let me just uh, revisit the subject today. Uh, I don't know how thoroughly I addressed it. And of course, some of you may not have heard uh, that podcast. But let me, you know, I'll, I'll backtrack to that theory before I get to the theory on the uh, big, on the trade war being positive for the dollar. But the idea is that the massive increase in government borrowing combined with the Fed's balance sheet uh, shrinkage to the extent that the Fed is ever able to pull off uh, the reduction in its balance sheet that it has been uh, talking about uh, for years, but it's really supposed to begin in earnest, I think, this fall. I think something like $50 billion a month is supposed to bleed off the Fed's balance sheet. But it's happening at a time where budget deficits are exploding. And so if you look at the enormity of the amount of debt that is going to be sold into the market, both by the Treasury and by the Fed, you're talking about maybe $2 trillion a year worth of bonds. And the thinking is that this is going to absorb all the dollars out there. And there's going to be a dollar shortage, which is, is complete nonsense, because number one, what do people think the government does with the dollars they get when they sell a treasury? Or the government sells a treasury, it gets dollars. And what does it do with the dollars? It spends them right back into circulation. There's no shortage. They're right back out there. They, they go to pay welfare benefits, Social Security, Medicare, the military. All that cash is put right back out there. It's not like these dollars are disappearing. They're there. But also... What do you think treasuries are? I mean, they're just interest-bearing dollars. I mean, that's all they are. If you've got a treasury, I mean, you've got a dollar. I mean, what's the difference between a 30-day treasury bill and a dollar? I mean, you know, they're pretty much the same thing. I mean, the only difference is people don't readily spend their treasuries, right? They don't go into a store and purchase something with a treasury, but they can. I mean, they, I mean, they can cash it in and then they can buy something. But they're effectively dollars. So, you know, even though the, the Federal Reserve, in theory, will be shrinking its balance sheet, the U.S. government will be expanding its balance sheet. What are the Federal Reserve's liabilities? Their liabilities are dollars, right? They're Federal Reserve notes, right? They're, they're liabilities for nothing because what do you get if you have a dollar? You get nothing. I mean, if you, get, if you have, you know, uh, a 20, they'll give you two tens. But, I mean, what's that? That's six of one, a half dozen of the other. But... Federal Reserve notes are liabilities of the Fed. It's just that if you have one, unless you're a bank and you put it on deposit with the Fed, you're not getting paid any interest. 
But the Treasury issues its own liabilities. They're called Treasury bonds or notes or bills, depending on the maturity. The difference is the Treasury has to pay you interest when you own its liabilities. And if you have Federal Reserve notes in your pocket, the Federal Reserve doesn't have to pay you anything. But the supply of dollars is really the supply of Federal Reserve notes and Treasury notes. They're all notes. They're all promises to pay dollar. Just the Treasury's notes have a fixed maturity and have a yield. And the, the Fed's notes have no maturity and no yield. But it's all part of the global money supply. So to say that dollars are disappearing, we're going to have a shortage of dollars when the Treasury is flooding the world with its IOUs for dollars is nonsense. It doesn't matter what form these dollars are taking, they are out there, right? The supply is there. There is a glut. Now, the other thinking is, well, you're going to crowd out all the dollar investment because all the dollars are going to go into treasuries. Well, that assumes that everybody who has dollars wants to loan them to the U.S. government instead of loaning them out to somebody else who may be willing to pay a higher rate of interest. And there will be plenty of willing borrowers who will be able to outbid the U.S. Treasury because the U.S. government is broke. The U.S. government doesn't have the ability to pay a competitive rate on its bonds, and it's not going to because the Federal Reserve is going to step up to the plate and provide the financing. So again, the idea that the Federal Reserve is going to shrink its balance sheet in the face of exploding uh, national debt and an exploding balance sheet on the part of the U.S. Treasury is nonsense because the Federal Reserve is going to have to um, buy these bonds and reverse course and not follow through with quantitative tightening if it wants to keep a lid on interest rates. Now, if for some reason there is in the short run enough private demand to let the Fed off the hook, well, then it could delay that. I mean, maybe it could even shrink the balance sheet for a while, but it's not going to create a shortage of dollars. The supply of dollars is going to grow and grow and grow. Eventually, what's going to happen is it's going to be the demand for those dollars that is going to collapse, not the supply. And when the demand for dollars collapses, then the price of the dollar collapses. You get massive inflation. That is what is coming. But let me now just jump forward a little bit to talk about the, the trade war and the idea that the trade war is also somehow bullish for the dollar. And this is, you know, the same nonsense uh, that you got with uh, the increase in, in, in the budget deficits. The idea is that if we impose all these tariffs, that our massive trade deficits are going to shrink. And a shrinking trade deficit is also going to create a dollar shortage. After all, where do our trading partners get their dollars? Well, they get them by exporting products to the United States. But the problem is they've already got a glut of dollars. It's not like they don't have a bunch of dollars from exporting products to the United States for decades. Dollars are piling up all around the world. Of course, they're piling up in the form of U.S. Treasuries, but they're also just out there in Federal Reserve notes. But the world is not running out of dollars. I mean, that's for sure. And even if our trade deficits shrink because of the tariffs, they're not going away. They're still going to be enormous. So we're still going to be oversupplying the world with an asset that it already has in abundance. So this idea that you know our enormous deficits getting slightly less enormous 
is somehow going to send the dollar skyrocketing as everybody is scrambling to get their hands on them. This is nonsense. But also, you have to remember, if the U.S. trade deficit is shrinking, what does that probably mean? It probably means that Americans are importing less stuff, right? That's why the deficit is going down. We're not buying as much Chinese stuff. Well, if we're not buying as much Chinese stuff, then what does that mean? It means we're not buying as much stuff, period. I mean, and because if, if we're not buying the Chinese stuff, it's not like there's a bunch of American-made stuff. You know, it's not like when you go to Walmart, there's a section of the Chinese stuff, and there's another aisle with all the U.S. stuff, and it's all the same products. And so if the stuff isn't there on the Chinese aisle, you just go and pull stuff down from the American aisle. There is no American aisle. They don't have any stuff made in America. All that stuff's made in China. If it's not made in China, it's made in some other country that's probably going to be subjected to the same tariffs. Uh, but if we are buying less stuff, then we're consuming less. And if we're consuming less, what does that mean to our GDP? That's 70% consumption. It means our GDP is going down. And if our GDP is going down, if consumers are spending less because they have less stuff to buy or the price of the things they want to buy has gone up because of the tariffs and because... Uh, prices have gone up, but their paychecks have not gone up as much. They have to budget, right? And they have to spend less. And so we have to, we see a pickup in unemployment. And so what's going to happen if the economy slows down and unemployment picks up? Well, the Fed is going to slow down on its hikes. It's going to either hike more slowly or call off the hikes completely or start cutting, depending on how much the economy decelerates. And of course, what happens if the backup in interest rates that has already taken place, the slowdown in the economy accelerates. I pointed out, look at the uh, financials, look at the home builders, look at the auto sector. A lot of these parts of the economy are already visibly slowing down, and that momentum is going to be building. People are still you know, looking in the rearview mirror. They're all excited about what they think is happening, and they're oblivious to what is actually happening. But what if all of a sudden reality rears its head that it isn't easy for us to win a trade war, that in fact these tax increases and the potential ramifications among our trading partners are actually a negative, not just for the multinationals, but for all these smaller companies that populate the Russell 2000. Or what about all the Netflix of the world, all the big high-tech uh, flyers that everybody is hanging out in as if they're the new utility stock, right? Everybody is piling in to these momentum names because they think they're immune uh, from any kind of damage. And, you know, if people are going to be hiding out in these, yes, in the short run, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If everybody is getting out of the industrials, if they're getting out of the financials, if they're getting out of uh, consumer uh, discretionary and they're piling into tech, well, maybe tech will look like a safe haven until everybody wants out of that. And then where do they go, right? Then they're going to implode. I think where they're going to go is they're going to go to gold. I mean, even though gold has made a move down uh, with the breakout in the dollar or the move up in the dollar, I think that's the last uh, you know, safe haven standing. I mean, once, once you run out of safe havens, where are you going to go, right? That's where people are headed because nobody is looking there now. People don't even think they need a safe haven. In fact, I don't even know if money is moving based on a search of a safe haven, it's just going wherever the momentum is. I mean, people are using the safe havens as a source of funds so they can get more money 
you know, into the into the momentum stocks because everybody is piling into the trade that's working because nobody wants to miss out. You know, it wasn't just the uh, cryptocurrencies where you had the fear of missing out. You have a lot of fear of missing out right now in some of the high-flying U.S. stocks uh, that everybody is piling into. But the problem is when everybody wants to pile out, there's no one left. And if we end up getting a big drop in the stock market, now you've got the reverse wealth effect that is also going to be uh, going on. So if that is happening, then what is the Fed going to do? Again, the Fed is going to reverse course. So everybody who is betting that the trade war is bullish for the dollar is wrong. And, you know, there are a lot of other reasons why it's bearish for the dollar. It could be the ultimate in bearish for the dollar because the dollar's reserve currency status could hang in the mix here. I mean, we piss off all of our trading partners that are recycling their trade surpluses into our dollars to keep this, you know, financial system going where Americans, you know, drew the long straw, right? We get to consume and not produce. We get to print up money that everybody wants and they have to give us all their stuff to get it. And if all of a sudden they say, you know what, we're not playing this game anymore because America's not playing fair anymore and they're threatening us with all these tariffs. I mean, we end up biting the hands that feed us. And that's it. We're, you know, we're, we no longer issue the reserve currency. Maybe we go back to a gold standard, which is what we should be on, which means if America wants to import, they better export real products or gold, right? When you have a gold standard, you don't have all these trade deficits. Either you pay for your goods with goods or you pay for them with gold. Now, where do you get the gold? You got to mine it. I mean, you, you just can't print it like the U.S. government can print up dollars. If they want gold, they, they got to get it. Right? They just can't create it out of thin air because gold has real physical properties that can't be just reproduced out of thin air. And that is the, the ultimate danger. You know, one of the funny things I, I hear all the time on television, they say, well, you know, the Chinese could use the nuclear option. You know, and one of the nuclear options that they define is generally there's two nuclear options that most of the mainstream commentators think the Chinese have. And they're mutually exclusive, and they're kind of like opposites of each other. One of them, they say, is they could devalue the yuan, right? They could cheapen the yuan. Yeah, they, like, yeah, that's really going to hurt us. They're, they're going to they're going to destroy the value of their own currency, so they could basically, you know, take the bullets for us. They could basically absorb the tariffs themselves instead of allowing Americans to have to absorb the casualties and you know take the fire, but. There's no way they're going to do that. That doesn't help the Chinese to destroy the value of their own currency. The other thing they say is that Chinese can dump their treasuries, which I think is the smarter move and the more likely move. And of course, if they are going to uh, devalue their currency, that means they're buying more treasuries because to devalue their currency, they end up selling their currency. They create yuan and sell it into the market for dollars and they take the dollars and they buy more treasuries. But if they want to dump their treasuries, then their currency is going to go up. The Chinese currency is going to rise if the Chinese dump their treasuries. The price of gold is going to rise if the Chinese dump their treasuries. That is where they do the real damage. Because if the Chinese dump their treasuries and the dollar tanks and U.S. interest rates go up and U.S. inflation goes up and the gold price goes up, the party is over. Right? China could win this war uh, easily if they actually want to do so, if they actually will, uh, you know, sell their treasuries. And the, the irony of it is they should be selling their treasuries all along. They, they don't need an excuse. They should do it. Now, what we're going to now 
you know, force them into doing something that they should have done anyway, that was always in their interest. But the best thing for China is that now there's all this crazy demand for treasuries because people have all these crazy beliefs about the U.S. economy, about the dollar. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. The Chinese actually have an opportunity to unload, you know, an enormous amount of treasuries. Now, I keep hearing people say, well, you know, they'll never sell their treasuries because they're shooting themselves in the foot. No, they're not. They're shooting us in the head. You know, and even if they shoot themselves in the foot, they can survive that. We can't survive the bullet to the head. Plus, of course, most of the Chinese treasuries, it's not, again, they don't have to sell anything. Just like the Federal Reserve. Just let them mature and get their money back. Right? It's not about selling the treasuries. It's about selling the dollars. Right? It's a two-step process. First, you sell the treasuries or you allow your treasury to mature. When your treasury matures, the U.S. government has to give you dollars. But where is the U.S. government going to get the dollars if the Chinese let their bonds mature and at the same time, the Federal Reserve is allowing their bonds to mature. Where is the Treasury going to get the, the dollars to pay off the Fed and to pay off China? Now, of course, when they pay off the Fed, the Fed destroys the dollars and takes them out of circulation. But when they pay China, China sells the dollars right into the global supply, pushing down their, their value. But where are all these dollars going to come from? I mean, they can't get them from taxpayers, right? So this is the, the dilemma if China decides that they want, to, they want to shrink their balance sheet, then the Fed's got no choice but to reverse course and to expand its balance sheet to accommodate it, to make it possible. Otherwise, we basically have to default. We have all these people demanding to be repaid, and you don't have the Fed as the lender of only resort, then the government's got to default. But of course, who's going to let the government default? They're not going to default. Trump's not going to default on the national debt. So Powell's going to have to print up all the money uh, that's necessary. So what everybody is thinking is going to happen to the dollar, all the good things that people see happening from the deficits, from the trade war, from the rate hikes, none of this stuff is going to happen, right? But in the short run, just because people think it's going to happen, well, the markets are moving in that direction. It does make it difficult for people who have done the right thing, right? You know, you take the pain because you watch some of your positions move against you. That's fine. Because it's just a bunch of fools, just a bunch of idiots doing the wrong thing, distorting markets. It's giving the smart people an opportunity to beef up their positions, to get more money in on a winning trade. Because the winning trade is to be short the dollar. It's to be long these foreign stocks. It's to be long these emerging markets. It's to be long these currencies. And I know there's some pain, but, you know, no pain, no gain. And sometimes the more pain you take on a trade early on, the more gain you make on the trade later on because the pain is a reflection of all the people doing the wrong thing but that's what creates the price distortions that's what creates the opportunity when we get paid is when all the people who are doing the wrong thing find out and by the time they find out it's too late right now they can't correct the mistakes because it's a crisis and they're just you know staring there wondering how could this have happened nobody could have possibly predicted this meanwhile the people who did predict it you know are the ones that are laughing all the way to the bank but while I'm on the subject of laughing, I got to finish up this podcast by talking about Donald Trump's last speech about the Space Force. Now, I, you know, apparently he mentioned this a few months ago. I don't know how I missed this one, but I, I never even heard about it until yesterday when he gave this speech. And Donald Trump, with a straight face, you know, I'm not kidding. I mean, you would think that this is just something that was happening on Saturday Night Live, you know. But no, this is the actual Donald Trump talking about creating a fifth branch 
of the armed services. You know, we, we got the Navy, the Marines, the Army, the Air Force, and the Coast Guard, right? Those are the five branches. Now, you know, we got the, the Homeland Security, but that's, you know, they're like defense, but that's a whole separate department, right? They're not part of the defense department. They're their own separate cabinet, right? The Homeland Security, thanks to George Bush. I mean, I think the Defense Department took care of Homeland Security until 9-11, and then we decided to create a whole separate Defense Department and name it Homeland Security, and so that Defense Department it was was in charge of defending the homeland, and the rest of the, defend, the, the Defense Department is, I guess, I don't know what they're defending, if not the homeland. I thought the whole purpose of the Defense Department was to defend the homeland, but be that as it may, uh, you know, Bush was able to expand the size of government thanks to September 11th in a number of ways. But now Trump, you know, without any kind of war going on, wants to further expand the the military by adding a fifth branch, the Space Force. The Space Force. I mean, the whole thing is laughable. I mean, first of all, where's the money going to come from? To pay for the Space Force. You know, if you listen to Trump's speech, he said that he wanted the Space Force to be separate but equal to the Air Force. Separate but equal. We got 300,000 men in the Air Force. I mean, what is he going to do? Is he going to cut the Air Force in half? Are we going to take 150,000 Air Force guys and stick them in the Space Force? I mean, are they going to have the same uniforms or we got to come up with all new uniforms? How much is that going to cost? Although I bet they're going to be pretty cool uniforms. Like a lot of people are probably going to want to be in the Space Force because I think, you know, those are going to be some pretty, uh, pretty sharp looking uniforms. Or is he going to hire 300,000 people? I mean, we, we got, what, 4% unemployment. Where are we going to get 300,000 people to join? Can you imagine the recruiting? You know, we're looking for a few good men to go into outer space or 300,000 men. We're going to ramp up. He talked about building all these spaceships, like an armada of spaceships. Like, what are we going to do with an armada of spaceships? Who are we going to fight in outer space? I mean, I mean, maybe Donald Trump is so convinced that he's already created peace on Earth that now he wants to be, bring peace to the galaxy. The problem is there's already peace in the galaxy, at least as far as we can tell, right? There are no enemies in space, right? There is no reason to weaponize space and to have a bunch of, you know, military guys in, you know, in, in warships, spaceships, patrolling outer space. Our enemies are earthbound, right? They don't have spaceships. They're not engaging us in space. If we go up to space, we're going to be there all by ourselves. Now, you know, and the funny part is, if Donald Trump actually thinks that one of the reasons to have a space force is to protect us in case aliens invade us. I mean, first of all, the odds of aliens invading us are, I mean, are infinitesimally small. Right? Assuming we can even afford to to build uh, a an adequate defense, we don't have the technology. First of all, I mean, I'm laughing because I'm thinking, you know, maybe the idea is we're going to build a space force, and I know we don't have the money, but maybe Trump is going to force the aliens to pay for it, like he's going to make the Mexicans uh, pay for the wall, right? Because now, you know, it's not just illegal aliens that we got to keep out. We got to keep out the actual aliens. But believe me, if there are any aliens and they actually can get their way to Earth with an army, right, they can travel hundreds or thousands or who knows how many tens of thousands or millions of light years to the, to the Earth for the purpose of invading us, 
I think we're pretty much done, right? I mean, I think there's no point in even putting up a fight. We'll just piss them off. I mean, what's the odds that they can't kick our asses if they could get here, right? I mean, come on. I mean, we, it's, we'd better off just trying to, you know, be friends with them than piss them off by trying to attack them. I mean, think about the level of technology that would be required for aliens to actually come to Earth. I mean, they would have to be, I mean, a minimum maybe thousands of years more advanced than us, but they could be millions of years. I mean, how long has the Earth been here? What, five billion years? How long have men been on the Earth? I mean, Homo sapiens. I forget, I forget my you know, anthropology. What have we been here? 50,000 years, 100,000 years? I'm not sure when the first cavemen came around, but I mean, how long have we actually had a civilization? You know, where we had like cities, I don't know, a few thousand years that we've had that, right? How long have we had industrial cities? A couple of hundred years? I mean, we just started flying. The Wright brothers were flying. What, a hundred years ago, we had the first flight. So we are nowhere when it comes to evolution of our technology. We are at the very, very beginning. Can you imagine a civilization that's a thousand years, 10,000 years, a hundred thousand, a million years ahead of us? in evolution of technology, we're going to fight them with our F-14s. Their spaceships are going to come over here, and we're going to have something. I mean, we might as well, you know, our F-14s going against a intergalactic or interstellar spaceship that comes here from an advanced civilization, I mean, that's probably like the Indians shooting an F-14 with an arrow. No, it's probably, it's actually probably like a, like a caveman throwing a stone at an F-14 and expecting it to make any difference. So the whole idea that you know we should even spend money we don't have on, on a space force is, is just complete sheer fantasy. Now, I don't know, maybe Trump, this has not had nothing to do with it. It's just all about we need to dominate space just like we dominate the Earth. We just have to make sure that we have such a huge space force that nobody wants to mess with us in space. Who wants to mess with us? I mean, the, the race to the moon with the Russians was a bad enough waste of money. But, I mean, we were a richer nation at the time. And it was part of the guns and butter nonsense in the 1960s that produced the 1970s. Look, if there's a reason to go to space, and I hear people say, oh, there's a lot of opportunity in space. There are resources that can be harvested in space. Fine. Let the private sector do it. If there's money to be made in space, some capitalist is going to go out in space and make it. The reason that, you know, the government is going there is because there, it, it can't be done efficiently. I mean, it's just go governments will waste money. But why should we go to space if going to space is a waste of money? Look, I'm happy to go to space when it's a wise use of our resources. And who is going to determine that? The private sector, when you have a profit motive. When people investing their own money decide that it's worth it to go to space, fine. Let them invest their money. I don't want Trump spending my money going to space and claiming that it's because of a national defense issue. He said, we have to secure space. Like it's a matter of life and death. Why? There is no threat to the earth coming from outer space. And any of our so-called enemies that we have, whether it's Iran or North Korea, if they attack us, it ain't going to be from outer space, right? They're attacking us from the earth. And so we defend ourselves from the earth. We don't go deeper than debt. But again, no one even worries about the idea that we're just going to spend all this extra money on building up our space force. You know, one thing that I that I thought about when I heard about this is it made me think about Paul Krugman. Remember Paul Krugman? He had an idea that if we really wanted to come up with a big stimulus for the economy, 
that what we could do is fake an alien invasion, right? And then we could spend all this money preparing for an alien invasion that never actually occurs. But the spending of all that money, he argued, would act as a great economic stimulus. And of course, I thought this was completely, you know, hysterical at the time, and I talked about it, but maybe Donald Trump actually is thinking about it. Maybe he wants to prepare the next stimulus for a, you know, alien invasion, Paul Krugman stock. Because if we have the Space Force and then we have, you know, a big recession and they're looking for a way to spend a lot of money, right, they can fake an alien invasion. And if we've already got the Space Force, right, ready to go, then we can start, you know, building all these spaceships we don't need, preparing for a battle that we're never going to fight. But again, this is the Keynesian argument that spending money somehow creates wealth. But it doesn't matter what we spend it on, right? I mean, you know, we can go to the moon and dig holes, and then we can go to the moon and fill the holes back up again, right? We can spend a lot of money traveling back and forth to the moon and creating and refilling holes, but at the end of the day, we have nothing to show for it, right? And it's not about what you spend. It's about the, the products that are the byproduct of that productivity. What do you produce? What consumer goods do you create that were not there that make your life better, right? That is the key. You know, again, getting back to this whole idea that America can win the trade war because we've, you know, we are the best customer. We buy everything. Everybody has a surplus with us, so they've got the most to lose. They have it backwards. I mean, we're a deadbeat customer. We buy stuff that we, we can't afford. But the rest of the world produces stuff. The production is the economic holy grail. It's not the consumption. I mean, anybody can consume. That's the easiest thing that you can do is consume. There's an old economic truism that supply creates its own demand. Right? Now, what does that mean? That means if you can supply something, if you can produce a product, the demand is there naturally. Right? People want what's there. What you can't create is supply from demand. Just because people want stuff doesn't mean that stuff is going to magically appear out of heaven, right? So wanting stuff doesn't result in the supply. But having the supply is what makes demand possible because you cannot consume what does not exist. You know, and so maybe it's desire, right? You can have all kinds of desire, but what turns desire into actual demand is supply. Unless something is produced, nobody can consume it no matter how much they want it. And the fact that our trading partners like China, the fact that they have the supply, they've got it all covered. If you got supply, you got demand, you're good. If you just got demand and you don't have supply, you're screwed. Now, what we're able to do is convince the Chinese to supply us with the stuff that we're demanding. They do that through our trade deficits. So if we end up, you know, destroying this relationship where we are you know, living off the productivity of the rest of the world, in particular China, it's Americans who have the most to lose. And then it's not just going to be the Space Force that we can't afford. We're not going to be able to afford any of our, our branches of, of the military. How are we going to pay all these people, um, you know, in the military? And besides, you know, <laughs> plus, I think that a lot of our soldiers, I mean, to me, the Space Force is where it's at, too. I mean, not only are they likely to have really cool uniforms, but what's the odds of seeing combat if you're in the Space Force? 
right? I mean, it's probably a pretty cushy gig, right? I mean, if you're in the Army or the Air Force, I mean, you could actually be deployed in a real war. But if you're sitting there in the Space Corps waiting for the aliens to attack, I mean, you know, sign me up for that. I mean, that's probably a better way if they ever had a draft again rather than, you know, joining the National Guard or something and trying to wait it out. A lot of our future presidential candidates uh, could join the Space Force and then they could say, yes, I'm a veteran. Right, I was in. I was in the Corps. I was in the military. I was in the Space Force. Right, didn't see any action, but I was ready. I was prepared. If any giant bugs from outer space, uh, you know, attacked us, I was ready to go. But I mean, this whole thing shows you how asinine. I mean, stuff like this happens at major market tops. You know, I. You know, it's. I, you know, who the gods destroy, they they first make mad, right? I mean, you get this kind of stuff going on. That I mean, Donald Trump brings this stuff up. None of the Republicans are criticizing him. All the guys, Trump could do no wrong. I mean, you see all people standing behind him as he's talking about the Space Force. You know, why, why is no one laughing? Everybody's got a straight face. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, what's that guy from, you know, the scene from Monty Python where the guy with a lisp is talking about his friend, biggest dick and everybody is cracking up. I mean, that's what I would expect to happen when Trump starts talking about the Space Force. I don't even know how he's able to talk about the Space Force with a straight face, but he's doing it. And and where's the criticism? Where are the conservatives that are talking about, where's the president going to get all this money for the Space Force? Now, of course, you can say, look, he's just talking about it. He doesn't actually mean it. He's just saying stuff, and he doesn't mean it. Because he's actually saying, I want the Pentagon to study it. I'm going to order the, the Defense Department. We're going to come up with this new branch. I mean... I mean, how can he say it if he doesn't mean it? And how can he actually mean something so ridiculous as saying we're going to have a space force? Or I keep thinking about, you know, like Mel Brooks, may the, the Swartz be with you or something. It's like, it, I mean, it, I mean, it really is funny if it wasn't so sad that this was actually happening. And, you know, people are saying, Peter, I'm being critical of Trump. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I like the idea of Trump and, and I like I liked a lot of the things about Trump as a candidate. And I really wish that Trump the candidate was president, but he's not. Now, there are some things that he's done that I approve of, and I do believe he gets a lot of criticism from the left that is unwarranted. In fact, a lot of the things that Trump does, if a Democrat were doing it, the left-wingers would love it, right? That's the problem with Trump. He's doing a lot of stuff that liberals should love. They just don't love it because it's being done by Trump, who is somebody they don't like. And for them, it's all form over substance. But what bothers me more is that the Republicans or the conservatives won't criticize Trump when he's obviously wrong, when he's obviously talking nonsense, right? And and they're not going to distance themselves from it. They are enveloping themselves in it. They are wrapping themselves up uh, in Donald Trump, and this is going to be a huge mistake. I mean, maybe it won't be a fatal mistake for a lot of people in the midterms. We'll see. It depends on how quickly everything rolls over. But I think by 2020, right, when we are deep in the next recession, whether we have a fake alien invasion to prepare for or not, right, when everything is imploding, it's going to be the Democrats saying, we told you so, right? They told us so for the wrong reasons, and they're going to be proposing all of the wrong solutions, but the Republicans are going to be powerless uh, to offer an alternative because they are going to be stuck. They would have been, they would have painted themselves into a box and there will be no way out.